heavy hitters. You know something? I just screwed up and we went live instead of me going to the 30-second countdown. So uh, I screwed up, but that's okay. Uh, here, we here we are, folks. Welcome. This is Police Off the Cuff. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon. And with me tonight, retired NYPD detective and straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. How you doing tonight, Phil? I'm doing pretty good, Billy. How about you? And I'm very excited about this lineup. This is going to be a good one. Well, you know, I screwed up a little bit in the beginning. I don't know what the hell I was thinking of, but maybe because I got uh, I got six people in the lineup besides me. But let me introduce, we got an amazing first guest. His name is Jimmy Cohn, James Cohn, if you want to be formal. Jimmy. And he's a retired NYPD inspector, and he's also a retired lieutenant colonel in the Army. Uh, pretty impressive credentials. And he also happens to be a pilot. So... He, uh, he earned all of that stuff while in the Army and the NYPD. And, uh, Jim, I want to welcome you to the show tonight. Oh, it's a pleasure to be back. Yeah, you're a frequent flyer. This is your second time, right? Yeah. <laughs> and we also had your uh, cousin on, Patty. Uh, Patrick Ryder, who's the Nassau County Police Commissioner. I yeah. mean, yeah. talk about – and, well, also your cousin is – was the Notre Dame quarterback, right? Jack – Jack so Cohn? My nephew Jack was the uh, quarterback for Notre Dame, and he's now uh, the number three quarterback with the Indianapolis Colts. Very impressive, man. Very impressive. Amazing. Jimmy, I got to tell you, I asked Bill earlier today when we were talking about the guests, and I heard the lineup, and your family, I says, Bill, if I need a transfusion, I'm going to Jimmy Cohn for a transfusion. Great bloodline there. <laughs> uh, it's all my brother Michael. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. You know, so, Jim, a lot of people, you know, especially newer cops, they like to hear the history of the NYPD. And, you know, we all love to go to a bar and we love to tell our war stories. And, you know, as we the Coronas fly or whatever you're drinking, the stories become bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, there you are drinking. So I expect these stories to become bigger and bigger and bigger. But folks like to hear these stories. So I know that you have some good uh, NYPD stories. Shoot, go ahead, man. <laughs> well, first, last night, I uh, I had dinner with a friend of mine's father, Hank Pascone. Hank did 26 years with the NYPD, retired out of the Manhattan DA squad. Then he did 21 years with the Suffolk County DA's uh, investigator. What I didn't know was that when Hank was a cop, he was a cop in the 9th Precinct in Manhattan. I was a sergeant in the 9th Precinct. And he brought up something that I forgot. Now, he was mentioned, I mean, 80 years old, a great memory, buildings, streets, blocks. But he brought up that next to the 9th Precinct, if you came down the steps, made a right, went to the next building over, made another right, you went downstairs and there was a legit bar. And back in the 60s, the cops would turn out, make a right and a right, go down to the bar and have a drink and then go take their posts. So he, he had brought that up. And I said, yeah, but by the time I got there, the bar was still there, but it was off limits. <laughs> well, talk about history. We had some great stories. Really, he did. I, I, for the first time, I just shut my mouth and listened. But uh, had a great time with uh, with Hank last night. But uh, you know, I was thinking about what am I going to talk about? You know, the crazy stories, the Keystone Cop episodes that we get involved in. And as I was, you know, searching my memory. One of the things that, that stood out was when I was a lieutenant in Midtown South. 
I'm on the desk and I look out the door. There's a family out there, a mother, a father, three little boys. And they're kind of like glancing in, you know, to the, to, to the inside of the precinct. So I tell one of the cops, go out and you could tell they were tourists, right? I said, go out and get those people and bring them in. So how you doing? What's, uh, what's going on? Oh, we, you know, we're from Nebraska or someplace out in the Midwest. And what they disclosed to me was that they come from a small town. Their local police don't talk to them. They don't talk to the police. There's no interaction. And that they were amazed by the NYPD cops. I mean, let's face it. Our, our cops are just amazing. And they do a great job every day. And that how friendly we were. Because they say we watch movies. You see the corruption and the beatings. I'm like, listen, corruption's under control. And you only get a beating if you really deserve it. So... <laughs> So I take the kids in the back. I show them the cells. Of course, you know, one of the prisoners steps up and said, don't, don't be like me. Pay attention to your mother and father and be good. You'll wind up like me. That was a real education for the kids. So we came out, and, and the cops being great like they are, getting hats, T-shirts, patches, giving the kids, the mother, the father. They left there with a whole, you know, ensemble of, uh, of gifts. And then they said, well, where are you staying? They give me the hotel up in, was up in the Midtown North area. I said, hold on. I get two guys with a van. I said, drive them back to their hotel. Lights and sirens for the kids. And the father was like, he said, I I can't believe how amazing you cops are and how friendly you are. And I'm like, this is the best part of the job is we're dealing with people. We're in the people business. And, you know, that's what that's what really makes it so uh, so good. So, you know, as I was thinking about what am I going to talk about, that that came to mind. Just just how special the NYPD is and how great our cops are. So while I was thinking about that, you know, I was saying no war stories. What's some funny shit. And one of the things that I still laugh about 25 years later is I was a sergeant in street crime. We were, I think in the six, seven and um, I'm driving my partner who went on to become a captain. He's retired now as well. Uh, George Mifsud. We're driving. And I see him glancing into the side view mirror and he says to me, hold up, stop the car, stop the car, back up, back up. So I'm like, he must see a guy walking, maybe made an adjustment to his waistband. So I'm backing up, trying to, you know, get, get to my holster and snap my gun. Cause I figure I'm, I'm backing up in, into something that's going to get dynamic very quick. And then he tells me, stop here, stop here. And it's a guy with a, with a dog, a pit bull on the sidewalk. And George is a big animal lover. Well, apparently what happened, the guy was disciplining in his dog and he was punching the dog. No sooner do I stop than George is out of the car. He's in shorts, T-shirts, our vests are on the outside with our shields probably hung upside down so you can't read the numbers. And uh, it's summertime. And he very calmly says to the guy, I see you having a problem disciplining the dog. I happen to be a professional dog trainer in my off-duty life. He says, if you'd like, I'll give you some advice. And, and it's a trick, and it, it should work. The guy's like, yeah, sure. He goes, but do me a favor. I mean, you're the master. Could you take the dog and just tie him up to the fence because I don't want him to bite me? So the guy does. And then George tells him, could you step out of the length of the leash because I don't want the dog, like, lunging at me and biting me. So the guy does. He steps up to George. George says, okay, I want you to pay attention. This is very important. The guy's leaning in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? what he goes, this is a very good technique. I'm a professional trainer. Yeah, 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 what do you got? George hits this guy. 
His feet go up. He lands on his shoulder blades. He's on his back on the sidewalk. The dog is looking like, holy shit. And George leans over and says, now, what do you think? Do you think that's going to work? Because it doesn't work on the dog either. <laughs> and then he steps over the guy, and the dog is, like, wagging his little tail. George, like, you saved me. George is petting him. The dog's licking him. And it's a big pit bull. And George steps over the guy again and says, now, think about that technique that I just taught you. Next time you discipline your dog. He gets in the car. I looked at him. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> and he said, well, he'll never hit the dog again. And then we, That's then for we, sure. Then we drove away. And, you know, the, the stupid shit that we do when we get involved in while we're, you know, out there doing a very dangerous job. And we just, we just laugh. You know, in aviation, I was there as a sergeant for four years, and I went back as a CO for the last eight and a half years of my career. And, uh, well, the funny thing about the dog is whenever I see a pit bull, I silently laugh in my head thinking about that thinking 25 that years ago, George on the sidewalk with that pit bull. But, so I'm in aviation one night, and we're doing a perp search, and I'm flying with Glenn Hoffman. Now, we work steady midnights. You so, know, Jim, just for the women in the um, in the chat, you're single, right? I'm still single. And you're a pilot. And you own a boat. You have cars. You got it all. Pensions. <laughs> Bill, just put my give my information out. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is gonna be like a dating site after you, after exactly. this is over. Wait. So we get off in the morning. One of my guys, Glenn Hoffman, he goes into the city to fly all day for Liberty Helicopter. I go home, sleep a few hours, get up, then I go fly with the National Guard. And then he, he goes, sleeps a few hours after flying charters all day, back and forth to the Hamptons. We show back up at work. Both of us are exhausted. There's only four pilots working. I'm one of them as a supervisor. Now we find ourselves like four in the morning doing a perp search over like the 104 and the 83 over the, uh, the cemeteries there in Queens. And at that time of the morning, your body just wants to go to sleep. Right. So I'm looking at the infrared. He's flying circles at 700 feet. And I just want to close my eyes for a second. And I do. And, Phil, it just felt so good to close my eyes just for those few seconds. I said, ah, this feels great. And I was out like that. Well, it was probably a minute. I open my eyes and I'm, I focus back in on the flare screen. And everything looks bigger. So I glance over it. And I can see the streetlights you know, of Queens. Like, we're pretty close. I look at the altimeter, and we're descending through 300 feet. I look over oh at Hoffman. He's sound asleep. So I smack him. I, hey, wake up. He goes, I wasn't sleeping. He goes, yes, you were. He goes, you were sleeping. I said, I wasn't sleeping. You were sleeping. He goes, no, I wasn't. You were sleeping. And I'm like, just, we're getting close to the houses. Just start pulling up. <laughs> so we searched for another 10 minutes. We couldn't find the guy. We, we flew back to Floyd Menor Field. And I'm looking at each other like two retards. Flying a helicopter. We would like the Keystone Cops. <laughs> Willis Pony, thank you so much for the 999 Super Chat. She says, I could listen to Jimmy Cohn all night. Hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Now, Jim, one of the things you do now is you're a, you're a commercial pilot, right? You fly like 10 flights a month. Is that correct? So what I do now is when I'm retired, you know, you got to have a job, right? So I got a little board. Bill, you can only golf and get drunk at lunch 
seven days a week for so long. Then you, you got to you got to get responsible again. So I went back to work. I had a little consulting company, um, consulting for one of my clients that was buying a jet. I had done some commercial corporate flying, and uh, I hooked him up buying a jet. <clears throat> he asked me if I wanted to be one of the pilots. I told him no. I'm retired. So uh, long story short, I'm back to work. I fly for him 10, uh, 10 days a month, and it's uh, it's nice. It's good to be back in the game. Wow. That sounds pretty exciting. I mean, it sounds like a pretty cool job, actually. Oh, yeah, it's exciting living out of a suitcase and in motels. It's, <laughs> oh, it's very exciting. Yeah, but someone's got to do it as I knock down 40K a month. <laughs> now you know why he's still single. Yeah. You know, Jim, you have you have some of the most amazing, um, impressive credentials outside of just being a cop. I mean, you know, you you were a colonel in uh, in the army. That that's pretty amazing itself. Now you must have been with all the wars, Afghanistan, Iraq. Did you get deployed? I was deployed uh, twice to uh, Kuwait and Iraq. Wow. So I mean, obviously, you've had an exciting uh, exciting life, and now. You know, you should enjoy your damn life. You know, you're in, you're, you're living in Jupiter, Florida, right? Trust me, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> That's great. You, you earned it. You definitely yeah. earned it. Phil, you got anything to uh, ask him? I know he's not Italian and you don't have any uh... <laughs> well, Italian. I want, a, ask him. I want a blood transfusion from this guy's bloodline because it comes from <laughs> some very good people. Very impressive. Now, uh, I was going to ask you, Jim, what year were you in aviation? Because I had a couple of friends that worked in aviation. A guy I worked with in the 7-0, Sammy Finnamore. I think he was in aviation in the late 90s. Were you, were you there then? I was there as a sergeant from uh, 98 until 02. And then I Does went Sam back in 2010. Does Sammy Finnamore sound familiar? It does. It does not. He might okay, have been there might, before me. I, I do know Glenn Hoffman. I know uh, I know that he was uh, in aviation there. He used to come into my relative's own Spumoni Gardens, L&B Spumoni oh, Gardens. Oh, yeah. I've eaten there many times. Great place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my cousin Lenny knows Glenn pretty good. He used to come in there a lot. Uh, so, yeah, that's it. Um, with the uh, searches that you guys did, now a lot of times we would call for aviation. Is there any uh, – Maybe uh, notable searches that you guys did where you found a perp or anything like that? You know, there was one. It was um, somewhere in Brooklyn. Um, and we, the cops did a great job. They got a perimeter up immediately. We happened to be already up flying, not far from the area. We responded, rolled right in, and set up stationary. And we're doing a FLIR search of the rear yards. And, and the cops were good. They said, listen, we immediately had a perimeter set up. So I'm like, he's got to be here. So we're searching, we're searching. We got nothing. And every now and then, I'm, we're looking at this one backyard where they seem to think is that's where he went in and he laid down. And there's a above-ground circular pool. And every now and then, I get a little, a little heat signature off of the side of the pool. So I asked one of the cops over the radio. Uh, now we're now we're on on TAC G. Uh, I said, does the pool have a uh, a filter on it and a motor because I'm getting an intermittent heat signature, like a little white thing would appear and go away. I'm like, no, it's, it's March. The pool's closed up. There's, there's no, no filter hooked up to it. So I said that I'm getting something and then it disappears. So I watch now you got to imagine this. Everybody looks like a little white stick figure, right? One of the cops goes over and picks up a two by four 
and starts smacking the top cover of the pool. <laughs> and then he drops a two by four and everybody jumps back and their guns come out. Well, the perp got into the pool under the cover. And what he was doing was lifting up the cover to see what they were doing, looking for him and then going back into the water. So the cover comes back. He starts emerging out of the water and we had the spotlight on. So I, I said to the cop that was flying with me, I said, uh, turn the spotlight off. <laughs> goes, Why don't you think they need illumination down there? I said, no, because what's about to happen? You don't want to be illuminated. And uh, <laughs> he was what jam time. <laughs> Fuzzy Doxy, thank you for the nine ninety nine super chat. She's loving Jim Cohn's stories. Jim, I thank think you. you used your allotment of time. All right, you were fantastic, and I'm going to visit you in Jupiter in the this winter. I'm looking forward to seeing you. All right, it'll be excellent. Uh, Jim, I'm going to have to put you, you, Jim. I'm going to put you in the dungeon because I got to bring Michael O'Keefe on. Ah, thank great you man. so man. Thank you so much. Your story was your stories were great. Stay safe, everybody. Okay. Here he is, Michael O'Keefe. Ladies and gentlemen, this is retired first grade detective Michael O'Keefe, an infamous for and uh, famous for, and I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but Mike uh, survived a gunfight in 1992 with a perp by the name of Kiko Garcia. And luckily, Mike went home to achieve great things in his life, and Kiko Garcia went to the morgue to achieve nothing. But that's where he deserved to go. And since that, besides Mike becoming a first-grade detective, he's written three novels. Uh, I'm trying to think now. Uh, Shot to Pieces, uh, Burnt to a Crisp, and is it Requiem in Brooklyn? No, A Reckoning. A Reckoning in Brooklyn. I, I almost had it. And yeah, then yeah, he, he, also, he also has a book full of poems. So, you see, cops aren't dummies. Cops are pretty damn smart for you folks that are listening. Mike, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be back, Bill. Now, you told me you got some uh, great story that's going to make Jimmy Cohn's story look like an uh, amateur story. <laughs> no, no. Actually, th this one is this one's good because it's self-effacing. It's uh, probably the most horrifying, disgusting, and embarrassing moment of my career, uh, which is, you know, pretty impressive considering I stuck around for 24 and a half years. Um <laughs> This actually took place in, uh, I think, late October in 1988. Uh, I was working late tours in the old 3-4, back before there was a 3-3. And uh, my partner at the time, uh, for those that knew him, Tommy McPartland was one of the greatest gun guys ever in the history of the police department. Uh, retired about two years ago. He was the CEO of the Firearms Task Force. So uh, we had been... Uh, Going through a series of assignment changes on the late tours, we started out in Charlie David, which is in the south end of the precinct, and uh, invariably we would make such a nuisance of ourselves, we'd get a death threat, and the police department hierarchy, never very brave, decided that they'd give in to the drug dealers and they'd bounce us a sector north. <clears throat> By the time this incident takes place, we're now at the very end of the precinct. It was uh, Sector King Mike. Uh, so I used to go over the radio. I used to refer to us as King of the North. Uh, Central never got the joke. Uh, in any event, we turn out, and this is about a month before the two of us went to anti-crime, but we turn out and no sooner do we leave the barn, we run into a gun collar, process that quick. 
dump him in central booking and then go back on patrol. And uh, we were getting our balls broken by uh, by this uh, patrol sergeant because in our sector, uh, in a big building on Thayer Street and Dykeman Street, north end of the precinct, it was ordinarily a quiet neighborhood, but there was a big drug shop there. And they, they used to use moving kilo weight. Narcotics had a big case on it. The drug dealers had the front of the building all lit up like a, like Jimmy Cohn's runway, for instance. Uh, so you were never approaching it from the front. And every morning at about three o'clock in the morning, the same mutt would go up on the roof of this building and he would empty the magazine of a semi-automatic rifle. Well, obviously, nobody knew what kind, but we were getting a lot of complaints from the neighbors who were not down with the drug thing. So we're challenged by our sergeant, you know, why don't you go get this guy? So we do a recon, and the only way that we're going to get to this guy on the roof is to sneak up from the adjoining buildings. And there are about four on Thayer Street that you had to go over the rooftops to get to this particular roof. So we're doing a stealth mission, and <laughs> we're creeping over rooftops. And when we get to the building concern, they have barbed wire and broken glass cemented into, into the parapet of the roof. Uh, and unbeknownst to us, they had also smeared the parapet of the roof with human excrement. We didn't find out that there was human excrement until we had it all over ourselves. So now we got to back out of there, come down the way that we went, go back to the precinct, hose off our uniforms, take a shower, and then change to go back out on patrol. Now, the only thing I had in my locker was my summer blouse. Uh, it was still there from, uh, I think, a funeral I had worn it to uh, maybe a week before. So I put that on, and we go back out on patrol. And we're coming up. Uh, St. Nicholas Avenue. And there is a big white kid who is clearly freaking out. He's high on coke. His jaw is sliding back and forth. He's in a paranoid froth. He doesn't have a shirt on. Uh, obviously inappropriately addressed for the weather. And I said to, to my partner, I'm Tommy, we got to go get this guy. They, the, the drug dealer, the mutts are going to find him. And then he's never leaving New York. We got to get this kid. Now, he's a big kid. He was like 6'4", probably about 225. He was he was strapped. I call him over to the car, and he takes off running, and he runs into a building on St. Nick. I'm like, ah, we got to go in and get him. So I go in to get him, and I'm like, come on. You, you can't stay here. Come on. We got to get you out of here. He approaches me, and I usually I see this coming, but I did not see the right hand that hit me. And now the war is on, and we are battling with this guy. Despite the cold weather, he's sweating bullets. He's screaming. He's scratching. He's pulling hair. He's punching. If he had an opportunity, I'm sure he would have bit us. And no matter how hard we hit him, it's not phasing him. And we finally managed to, to drive him to the ground. And I'm doing a number on him with my nightstick. Broke it, as a matter of fact, over his head. So now he's seated on the ground, and I'm standing over him. And he's calm for like three seconds. And then he reaches up between my legs behind me, grabs the center of that wool jacket, and snaps it off me like a tearaway jersey. <laughs> it came apart. That's how strong this kid was. So now we put over to 13 because we're going to need more help than this. And finally, we get him cuffed up. Actually had to ankle cuff him also. And 
the kid's a mess. I'm mean, obviously he's bleeding out of every hole in his head. But I don't want to lock him up. <laughs> it just you just got the feeling that this was out of character for him. So the lieutenant is like, well, fine, take him to the hospital and EDP him. I'm like, all right. So we bring him down to Columbia. And folks, for our listeners, EDP means emotionally disturbed person. It's psychoing somebody. That was the old time word. He's a psycho, right? But then they made it kinder and softer, and it was emotionally disturbed person. And they changed it even further to emotionally distressed person. Really? I wasn't on the job when they made it that. I wasn't either, but I followed it. Jimmy Shanahan told me about that. I just, Mike, I just want to give a shout out to (laughs) Inspector Ronald Schindel, who has been an inspector in two different jobs. He's now in the Port Authority, and he was a full bird on our job. Ron, good to see you. Uh, I know you just celebrated uh, an anniversary with your wife recently. Uh, God bless. Great to see you in the chat here. So we EDP this guy, and now I got to go back to the precinct because my, the jacket is is off my back. So, and the only thing I have to wear is is a blue sweatshirt. And I tell the lieutenant I'm out of uniforms because I right, just put the sweatshirt on. We'll pin the shield to the outside of the sweatshirt. So we go and finish the tour, and I had the gun collar from earlier in the tour. And now we're back in the precinct at eight in the morning, and I have to post chains down the court for the arrest, and uh, get a phone call from the cop who's watching him in the hospital. He says, listen, before you go down the court, can you do me a favor? The guy's crying like a baby. He's confused. He doesn't know what happened. Uh, He he senses that he did something wrong. Uh, I told him, don't worry about it. I'll keep him apart with the good guys. But, you know, he wants to to be reassured. He's not on drugs anymore. I'm like, all right, I'll stop by on my way to court. And I get there, and the guy's literally, this big man-child is weeping. Like a baby. He still has a knot sticking out of his head that looks like a baseball. <laughs> and he and uh, he said, what happened? I said, well, you punched me in the face. And then we had to restrain you to get you here. And that wasn't easy. So, you know, we had to hit you a bunch of times. And he starts crying and apologizing. I'm so sorry. How much time am I going to do? <laughs> I said... When the doctors decide you're not crazy anymore, you're going home to Jersey. Time served. I said, I'm not charging you with nothing, bro. He's like, you're kidding me. I said, no, no, that's the real deal. You're good. So (laughs) I go down the court, and now I'm getting messages and letters from this guy in the precinct mail. He keeps apologizing. He says, you set me on the straight and narrow. I'm uh, I'm focusing on school and my baseball career. Uh, I think I want to be a cop. I'm like, all right, whatever. He actually sends me successive Christmas cards. And I find out that he was, he was, and I think he is, he was shortly thereafter, but he ended up getting a job with a police department down in South Jersey. What a wonderful story. Yeah, right? <laughs> now he's the PC of a, the police yeah, department. Yeah, yeah, no, straight. yeah, you know, we used to see this all the time. You get these kids and they, they'd have, it's basically, they called it cocaine psychosis. Right. And, and you really didn't, you really don't want to be involved with them at all. But if you didn't intervene, this was a tough neighborhood. They'd get eaten alive. You You might have saved his life, Mike. You might have saved his life. It's entirely possible. That's one of the other reasons why I didn't want to collar him. Not that I'm a great human being. 
But one <laughs> of the reasons I didn't want to collar him, it was I was afraid he was going to take one of those cocaine heart attacks. And now I got the death of a prisoner in custody. Now nah, you're a medical case. We're going to get you some help. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. Mike, you're, you're at about the time. I just want to uh, close. Your, your story was fantastic. Mike's got three books out. You can get them on Amazon. Shot to Pieces. Uh, Burnt to a Crisp. And I, figure, I always forget the last one. What Mike Reckoning say? in Brooklyn. Reckoning in Brooklyn. Yeah. And um, I want to thank you, Mike, for your service and for that horrible incident you were forced to go through in 1992. And I'm happy that you survived and Kiko Garcia uh, is pushing daisies somewhere. Well, that makes two of us, Bill. That's great. Uh, Mike, <laughs> I'm going right. to remove you and introduce the next guest. Thanks Thank again, guys. I appreciate you having me. It was great to have you. Guys, the next uh, guest, uh, I actually, when I was doing stand-up comedy, I met him. He came to my show. I'm not doing stand-up any longer. But he's he's got this huge, booming voice. He's six foot six. I hope I didn't take two inches. I, I, gave, I said he was six foot eight the last time I introduced him. He's six foot six. He's 300 pounds. Uh, he's an imposing figure. He's... Um, He's a singer-songwriter. He was a great police officer in the 4-4 precinct. And he actually got out early in his career on a three-quarter injury and coached, I believe it was either high school or college basketball. And then he got a law degree, and uh, he practiced law and almost got elected judge upstate. Let me introduce him to you. This is Montgomery Delaney. Oh, I forgot to say, he's a Marine. If you ever leave that and I can't say you were former Marine because a Marine is always a Marine. That's right. You can't that's take right. the title away. That's right. Yeah. Well, welcome to the show, Monty. It's the last sound the enemy's supposed to hear before you disembowel him. That's what you that's what you say <laughs> when you're driving the bayonet into his belly. Yeah, <laughs> so that's uh, that's a Marine called Growl, you know. As opposed to ooh ha that uh, Al Pacino did in that movie, uh, which was a great movie. Oh, scent of a woman. Yeah. woman. That's that speech he gave in that movie is fantastic. It's one of my favorite uh, bits of cinema. So I don't even. Oh, know the one he gave to the school when he was yeah. in the school. Yeah. So I retired recently. I retired recently from my law practice because you know, you know, Billy, I have a heart problem. So I figure I'm going to spend some more time with the kids and you know, and do something right and. and, and Guys like O'Keefe and John Monahan, all, all these all these cops are writing books. I figured, let me sit down and write. I'm trying to. I'm, I got three books in the works. One, really? will, one, yeah, one will be finished soon. It's a book of poetry, actually. It's going to be the first one. Then there's a self help book and and a novel that I I wrote the years ago, but it's a really didn't come out the way I wanted. So now I'm reworking it with a, with, a, with a new pr uh, perspective. We'll see. And I, you know, I haven't really been sitting down at the computer as much as I should, but. I, the idea of these things, you know, just keeps me going. And the book of poetry should be coming out soon. So uh, it, it was interesting. I didn't know that Mike had written a book of poetry. I, I'd love to. I'd love to read that. And uh, I want to get a hold of it. But here's you know, a, Monty, you're a pretty gentle guy for a big fucking six foot six inch. Yeah, uh, unless you piss me off or you hurt a cop. <laughs> There well, you go. Show yeah. us those. Show us those those mitts again. I said I couldn't. Oh my god, <laughs> that's crazy. Takes so, up the whole damn screen. I was, I, was, I was talking to some young New Rochelle cop a couple of weeks ago, and he said, "He said you didn't have tasers when you were on the job." I said, "Yeah, I had taser. Taser number one. Taser number two. 
They work those tasers work. These tasers, these tasers work better than the ones they got today. Yeah, me. right, right, exactly. Know, I tase you, it's over. It's done. You're done. And Monty, when you were on the job, you were in the 4-4, which was one of the busiest precincts yeah, in yeah, the city in, at that time, right? In the, 80, in the 80s, when a crack hit, Billy, it went, it went insane. We had over 100 homicides a year for like four or five years in a row. It was like we put out 30, 30 cars on a 4-12. It was only a little mile and a quarter long, the precinct, you know? And the 4-6 would do the same thing. So if you were on the border and you called for help, you had 25, 30 cops in, in a minute. You know, it was just, it was, it was dangerous, but we helped each other out. And as a result, you know, tremendous uh, fraternity uh, amongst the cops. Like I had a little barbecue on, on, on Saturday and a bunch of guys came, you know. Uh, we had about 20 people over here. At the hey, where was my invite? Okay. You, weren't, you didn't work in a 4-4. <laughs> so, so. See, he... he he thinks quick too. He, 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 with his yeah, mouth, so, right? Well, you know that's that's how it is, though. We have a, a reunion. The club has a reunion every couple of years where we induct a couple of people into the four four Hall of Fame, and, and very kindly they they inducted me into a couple of years ago. We we do it over at the Hilton in Tarrytown, and we usually get four or five hundred guys to come for that racket. It's every wow. two years, and, and that shows you just how tight we were, you know. And talk about war stories. I mean, uh, I I you know I haven't had a drink in like thirty four years, so. I bring my wife to these rackets and, uh, you know, they invariably, they want to start telling Monty stories. I'm not, I'm not that guy anymore. I'm like, I'm like, come on, honey, come over here. Don't listen to those guys. Get over here. You don't want to hear that one. You don't want to hear that. Come on over here. So I'm pulling her away all the time. But, uh, but I want to read this poem. That's a, Go ahead. The book. One of the poems, uh, it's called for the fallen shots fired, shots fired. The dispatcher did say as the cops on patrol headed that way. There at the scene, they jump from their cars, adrenaline surging through their intrepid young hearts. Then there, a suspect in his hand gripped a gun, firing it widely as he turned to run. Bullets at random at nothing were aimed, bullets to kill, to cripple and maim. The officers chased him, more shots were exchanged. Our brother was killed, no matter his name. He wore a gun and a shield and a vest, in every single tour, he did his level best, his best to protect others from harm, to keep people safe and sheltered and warm, to give them first aid and answer their calls, referee, doctor, therapist, he did it all. He did it not for glory, nor benefits or pay. He did it for one reason, to make the world a better place. And now here comes the mayor, speaking in cliches, about bravery and honor and the American way. He was good, he was brave, he was kind, he was nice. And in the end, he made the ultimate sacrifice. But our brother is gone now, and we could care less, because we're here for him and not for the press. And we will go on answering the calls, knowing our names may be etched on that wall. So, my blue brother, rest you in peace. You shall always be with us when we hit the streets. In the flash of the tart lights, in the siren's loud blare, we will remember you proudly, and you'll always be there. St. Michael, St. Michael, by the prayer of this poem, meet our brother at the gate and welcome him home. And that's that's going to be one of the... That was beautiful, man. You know, right, and Monty, I, I happen to know that... Um, you're a good singer-songwriter. You play guitar. You're yeah. a singer-songwriter. You've played at some of the biggest clubs in Westchester. Oh, I played and, all, uh, all In fact, all I country. had a picture of you, I uh, I think, 
playing. And um, let me see if I oh here. I just wanted to know where the hell did you get that hat? <laughs> well, that that's, that's fifteen years ago up the old town cry, which is now Daryl's place up in uh, up in. I uh, expected Paul. you to you to be going yodeling. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't yodel. Unfortunately, I don't yodel. You know, I, do, yodel, I, I yodel sometimes when I'm warming up in the green room. It's but you know something? Thing. You're a real like Renaissance man. You really are. Look at uh, well, well, the Boston Globe said I was a Renaissance man. I said no, I'm just confused. Yeah, you're confused, but. You know, you're very talented. And look at all the different things you've done with your life. I mean, here we got Jimmy Cohn. We got yeah. Montgomery Delaney. What, 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 an, what an impressive man. What an impressive man. Yeah, Michael O'Keefe is no slouch either. No slouch. You know? There's so and, much uh, I mean, every, every person on the show tonight is no slouch. There's so much know? talent on the job. There's so many interesting people on the job. You know, and, and uh, I... You know, I'm always amazed when I find out what cops are into and what they're doing and what they're doing after they retire. It's just incredible, you know, going into business and starting all kinds of projects. And uh, it's it's wonderful. I mean, there's a lot of creative people that uh, you know, were drawn to this profession. You know, It's you know, a test it, it, it's the life after the job, too. A lot of people say, oh, is there life after the job? There really is. Yeah. And uh, just look at the, the the couple of guests we had tonight and, and the things that yeah. they've accomplished post-job. That's, uh, yeah, amazing. I'll tell you, and if I was on the job today, I'd be telling every kid that would listen, prepare for life after the job and get off the job as quickly as you can. Yeah, that's for yeah. sure. I just want to make sure if I ever fly with Jimmy Cohn that he doesn't fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, man, that was a scary story. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny story. So what, we're in, we're in a, the, the crime car in a day tour, and an old lady comes up to us and says, Officer, they're buying drugs on this, out of this building over here. There, there's a line of junkies in the alley, and the guy's selling them drugs through a hole in the wall of this abandoned building. So we're not supposed to make drug calls, but I said, nothing was going on. So I said to my partner, I said, Steve, you want to do something about it? He said, sure. I said, so we both... He gets out because he's Puerto Rican. He goes, he gets online, right? He's scruffy looking. He gets online and waits for his turn to come up to the to the hole in the wall. And he puts like a ten dollar bill in. And the guy reaches out with drugs, and Steve grabs his arm and handcuffs him to the junkie behind him. So now they're in the wall. They can't go anywhere. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, great. I so I come, that. I come in the out. We never like, I never like locking up junkies. But the guy was selling. I had no problem locking. Him. Anyway. So I go into the alley and there's like there's 25, 30 guys online. So I say, everybody out of this, out of this fucking alley, get get out of here. And of course, there's this white guy on the line. He's like, you know, don't you have anything better to do? Don't you know I pay your salary? You know, we're just trying to get some drugs here. We're not, really, we're not hurting anybody. So I, I, I said, I walk up to him. I said, listen, you know, everything in the Marine Corps is fingers extended and joined, your thumb along the forefinger. I said, listen, you need to shut your mouth right now. Okay. I so I haul off and I open hand smack this guy in the face. I left a red handprint on his face. I said, "You're a disgrace to your family. You're a disgrace to your race. You're a disgrace to your country." I'm going to tell you right now. Keep talking. I'm going to smack you again. He keeps smacked him again. Another handprint. Now he's now he's crying. I said, "Listen, you get the fuck out of this alley. If I, I'm going to come back in five minutes, and if I find you anywhere in this neighborhood, I'm going to put you in, in the emergency room at Lincoln Hospital. Okay, that's it." So I go. So four or five years later, I come into the station house. I'm in uniform. I come back from a detail or something. And, you know, you got to you salute the flag, and you, you know, and you, and you report to the desk officer, right? So I walk up to the desk, and he, the lieutenant calls me. He says, that guy over there, he uh, he wants to uh, see you. And I look over. There's a guy in a suit and a tie. I'm thinking, okay, somebody's going to serve me papers. You know, I got sued like 11 times, you know? So I walk over to the guy. I said, you have papers for me? 
He said, no, why would I? He said, do, he said, do you recognize me? I said, I don't recognize you. Why would I recognize you? He said, well, you know, five years ago, I was in an alley and I was buying drugs. And you came in, you told me I was a disgrace to my family and my race and everything. And you smacked the shit out of me. And, <laughs> and when, I, when I left the alley, I, went, I found my way to Lebanon Hospital and they put me in a rehab. And I haven't had any drugs in five years. Drugs in five years, and I came over here like to make some kind of amends to you, like to to apologize to you and stuff like that. And I was like, "Oh my God, this is really strange and weird, right?" So I talked to the guy for a few minutes. I, you know, I told him, "I'm glad you're okay. I'm glad you're uh, you, you're well and you've got yourself together." And he shook my hand and he, and he turned to leave. And as he's walking out, I said, "Hey, buddy," I said, "Now you know where I am." If you feel like using drugs again, come back. I'll slap the shit out of you again. That's great. Well, that's Pony. Thank you so much for the 999 Super Chat. She says, Michael O'Keefe, detective, author, comedian, and gunslinger. Uh, what an NYPD star. Yeah, so star. true. Uh, Ron Schindel, inspector, double inspector, inspector on NYPD, inspector in Port Authority. Thank you so much for the $20 Super Chat, Ron Schindel. Uh, really appreciate it. Someone else uh, hit us up here. Um, these guys, these stories are amazing. Uh, Radio Mitchell, thank you so much for the 1999 Super Chat. Monty, I'm going to have to remove you and send you to the dungeon. Before he goes, Bill, I, hey, well, I, got one, I got one quick one I want to tell you. Go ahead, go ahead, go. Okay, I quit drinking in 87, so like 88. Down, the 4-4, we used to have these luau's down by the river there, by the Harlem River. You know, after after a four to twelve, we get a couple of kegs. You know, so I go down there one night after after four to twelve, and the guys are half in a bag, and they got beer cans on the pylons, and they're shooting the beer cans on the pylons for money. They said, "Mont, you want to get in on this?" And they're all drunk. I said, "I throw a twenty in a hat, Bing, knock the can off the pile, take all the money, do it again, Bing, knock the can." I, I'm I'm into them for like four hundred dollars, and then one of them says, "What are you drinking, Mont?" Because I, I, I have a, a red cup with me, you know. I'm just drinking soda. One of the guys says, he quit drinking a year ago. They said, you're not drunk? I said, no. They said, give us back our money. I said, no, I'm back money. <laughs> to this day, the guys, they laugh about that. Every time they see me, you know, because I took advantage of it. But that's, that's you know, great. Mike, we uh, humor. We we used to call that choir practice when I was first on the job in '82. We would go, yeah. we would I was in transit. We used to do eight at night to four thirty in the morning, and we would go to the train yard on uh, Stowell Avenue, go yeah. back there and drink beer and fire guns and stuff. And we used to call it choir practice. I think that was uh, from a movie. But there's two success stories already that we have tonight. We have the guy. Yeah, it was a Wombo book. Wombo book. book. Yes, 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 yes. But the two so far two success stories where people got put on the straight and narrow. I guess uh, both times narcotics related, but uh, it's good to hear stories like that where people come back and they say, "Hey, you know, thank you for helping me out, straighten out my life." That's uh, that's a you real don't know who you, you don't know who you're helping. You don't know who you're helping. You know, I, well, I got to sure. one, one. You got two seconds. No, we don't. We oh, got to go to the next. Gotta, step. Monty, I, got, I got the funniest freaking story you ever heard in your life. Well, I'll, you'll save it for the next one because you'll come back on. We're gonna invite you back on, Phil. It's your it's your um, guest. You're going to invite. Uh, you're going to introduce Carol Arasum. She's a retired detective who I worked with. I had the pleasure of working with her in the intelligence division. Uh, I believe Carol, you were a Manhattan cop, right? Correct. Yeah. And then Manhattan, you were, I'm sorry, Manhattan and then Brooklyn. 
Manhattan and then Brooklyn, and then you worked in narcotics for a while, and then you wound up in the intelligence division, correct? I did, with you. All right. Now, I understand that you had the uh, unfortunate uh, presence at a riot in 1991 uh, at the Tomskin, Tompkins Square Park uh, riots. You want to tell us a little bit about that, Carol? Uh, <laughs> well, I was in anti-crime, and... Um, the riots were going on. They were going on for a while down there in Tompkins Square Park. And they had a um, uh, magazine, not a, a newspaper called The Shadow. And they would take pictures of all the anti-crime cops. And they'd put little blurbs over our head, like, look at this one's hairdo, whatever. So they all knew who we were because we didn't have spiked hair. And anyway, during one of the riots, um, we're they send us into the crowd to walk with these idiots. And um, a guy pulls a, an M80 out of a, a fanny pack on his waist. He lights it and he tosses it towards the uniform guys. And uh, I'm behind him, of course. So I grab him and and he starts running and screaming. And he's dead. next thing you know, the crowds are attacking me. They're trying to rip my clothes off. I had a vest on, thank God. And the task force guys pull a pull a formal wedge, but in the meantime, he takes his fanny fanny pack and he swings it, and I'm facing him, so he crawls me off the back of my head, and uh, unbeknownst to me, that there was um, two pool balls in this fanny pack. Um, Carol, you used you used the police term that. Many of our listeners might not recognize you uh -huh. use the term crawler, which I love. <laughs> we just we just we just have to let them know what that means. <laughs> I got I got clobbered off the back of my head. Well, it wrapped and hit me in the back. But it it, it they pulled me out of this crowd, the task force, Manhattan South Task Force and their riot gear, they were right on the money with their wedge, and they pulled us all out and they, they locked this guy up and uh, all of a sudden I realized my head was spinning and I was like, I think I need a bus. I was hit with something. And then I went down and I woke up in St. Vinny's, which is gone now in, in uh, the village of Manhattan. And uh, I spent 10 days in the hospital recovering from getting crullied, hitting the head with, a, with two pool balls and a fanny pack. But I guess uh, if I can live through getting hit in the head with that, I guess I could live through a lot of things. Carol, you were eventually uh, awarded a disability pension based on that incident, correct? In 19 yeah, with 19 years, three months, they pulled me all the way to the end before they finally um, put me out on a disability. But, but you know, it it is what it is. So, Carol, I understand that you have a funny story for us as well. I have funny story for you, Phil. <laughs> Lay it on me, Carol. So, so I was a, a uniformed police officer in the first precinct in Lower Manhattan, and my partner, um, Vinnie Kama, who passed away of an aneurysm uh, right before his 50th birthday, um, it was uh, September, it was the end of August, beginning of September of 1985, and we come in on a Friday for a day tour, and the roll call hands him uh, a... Um, a notification that he's got to work the West Indian Day Parade. So he said, I, I don't want to work it. I don't want to work this parade. It, it's bad. It's bad. I don't want to work it. So I said, well, 
We'll go out. We'll go to every hold in one. We'll grab a collar. We'll, we'll get something. It's a day tour. It's a Friday. It's Manhattan. Somebody's got to do something. So all day we're going all over. And would you believe like every store was like letting people go that day. So there was no holding ones. And, and, and back in 1985, if you made a collar, you were in the system for like a week, you know? So it's like 20 after three, almost change of tour. And he's completely panicked because he does not want to go work this detail. So I said to him, okay, go down to Fulton street and stop the car and I'm going to get out and I'm going to take my hat off because nobody ever sees me. I'm five foot one. I'm 110 pounds. Doesn't matter what uniform I'm wearing. Nobody's going to see me. And I'm going to walk up Broadway and I'm going to grab a three card Monty. He's like, you're never going to get a three card Monty. They got like 10 people on the game watching the game. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to get a Monty. So here I go to get out of the car, my uniform. I walk up to Broadway and Turn up, there's the Monty down on the box. And I walk up behind him and I stick my arm around him and I say, I'm a cop, don't freaking run. And with that, the guy turns back, he looks at me, he stands up and he's got to be about 6'6". Six, six. And I wrap my legs around his waist. <laughs> with that, he starts You were running. piggybacking him. <laughs> he is running up Broadway. Everybody scatters. I'm on the guy's back. I pull in my radio out and I'm like, I'm in pursuit. I'm in pursuit. And I'm, uh, uh, it's a male black wearing, and I'm looking down <laughs> white sneakers, blue jeans. <laughs> he's got a blue and white shirt on and he's running and he's trying to get his clothes off. And he's like, get off my back. And, and I'm trying to hit him in the head. Stop running. And I'm and and, it, and we're going up now Wall Street at three thirty in the afternoon on a Friday. It's packed, heading towards City Hall, and all these Wall Street people. And I'm yelling, "Trip them, knock them down!" And people are just like spreading, like, "What is going on here?" There is a cop <laughs> on this guy's back, running up broad Broadway. So, no, Carol, Carol, just someone in the chat didn't know what a three card Monty. Oh. Could you just give a quick explanation? Of what All right. So it's those people that have like the three shells or the three different cards. And they're like, where did I put the peanut? And they start switching things around. Where did I put the peanut? But it's all a scam because they have people that play. They have people watching out. You know, they, they steal your money. So back then, three card Montes were everywhere. So I decide that this would be a nice, easy collar if I can just slip past all the all the lookouts, which I did. So here we go. Um, I'm in pursuit. I'm putting it over the radio. I'm in pursuit. And, and I hear the first precinct guys are coming. The fifth precinct guys are coming. The seventh precinct guys are coming. I'm a female. It's 1985. There's not a lot of women on the job. So like, I think everybody that was turning out was heading towards this job. And, and this guy is running at a full pace. Now we're up almost at Ann Street. If you know Manhattan, we're going northbound up Broadway. And now I said to Central, you better notify Brooklyn because I think this dude's heading for the bridge and I don't tell anybody I'm on his back. So, <laughs> so the guy's running and he's yelling at me and I'm yelling at him, stop running. And he's like, get off my back, get off my back. So all of a sudden I'm starting to hear the radio cars coming and I'm like, all right, somebody's coming. I look back, I see my partner, he's like two blocks away. 
And I'm telling people, knock this guy down, knock him down. <laughs> so with that, the radio car from the first precinct pulls up and, and they're coming the wrong way up Broadway. And we're just about at the at the base of the Brooklyn Bridge and they pull up and, and I'm looking at them and they're looking at me like, how did you get up on this dude's back? Like, <laughs> so I'm gonna call you Carol backpack from now on. You were like a backpack. So they pull up to the corner and they pull a turn in front of us, and the two uniform guys jump out and they grab this guy. And now we're all on the ground. Everybody's rolling, and I'm rolling, and 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 all these Wall Street executives are like flying backwards because because this bedlam on the street <laughs> and, and and we get this guy handcuffed and and they're like all right we're gonna throw him in the radio car you know so they bring him into the precinct and my partner catches up to me and now we walk the five blocks back to our radio car to go to the precinct and i walk in and and the guy is at the desk telling the lieutenant lieutenant frank dignan who also passed away from cancer he said, I need to make a complaint. I want a civilian complaint against this officer. So he said, okay, no problem. Let me get you the sheet. He's like, what did she do? He goes, listen, she needs to chase me. You are not allowed to ride on somebody's back. Dated, <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't fair. <laughs> so anyway, the first officers that responded, it uh, was uh, Joe DiPaolo and, and Bobby Boyza. I ended up marrying Joe DiPaolo. I guess he said, this girl's crazy enough to like ride on somebody's back. I better marry this chick. So, <laughs> That's great. So I, I you know, have Carol Willis Pony, who just gave us a 999 super chat. Thank you. She says, Carol, you are the best. People <laughs> love this story. I mean, it's, you know, there was a guy from Netflix who emailed Phil and I, and he's like looking, he watched the podcast and he, he loves some of the stories and he's supposed to be listening tonight. So if there's any story he's going to love, it's going to love your, you uh, never get this story for another cop. Cause I don't know anybody that's ever got a ride on somebody's back. It was, it was like, <laughs> it was ridiculous. It was, if, if, if my husband that I, that I'm married to now wasn't there, I might've thought I dreamed about this like back now, you know, 1985, it's a long, long time ago, you know, Rachelle Prando, thanks for the 10 Super Chat. Proud to see you here, Officer Carol. You are a great role model for women. Isn't that great, Rachella? Rachella happens to be the wife of the great Lieutenant Peter Pranzo, who's going to be telling the very last story of this evening. But wow. uh, Carol, that was uh, that was an amazing story. I, I I was laughing out loud at some of the stuff. I, I could, I, the guys didn't let me live it down. They just did not let me live it down. Like, how'd you get up? On this guy's back, I, I don't understand how you got up there. I, I was like, I don't. I was hanging on to his neck, and when he stood, we all went up. <laughs> well, <laughs> when, you, when you think about a three card monte, they're usually like bending down. They would set up a little cardboard box, and yeah. they even use like you shed uh, the the three cups with the peanut shell or the three cards, and you had to find whatever it was, the ace or whatever. And it's a scam because they got they got uh, shields in the crowd that they they make believe like oh yeah you won here they're paying them to get you to do it see yeah. how easy it is and then they steal your money. But so when you jumped on him and he stood up, it was the perfect storm because you're small and this guy was big, so you rode him. Uh, you you were backpacking. Him. When he stood up, my legs wrapped around his waist, and that was it. But we get to the precinct, and my partner's like, "Thank you." 
thank you, you know. Yeah, he didn't have he to go want... to the West Indian. And, and, I, like, and he, I said, you're not taking this collar. I just rode this dude like a mile. I'm <laughs> taking this collar. <laughs> I that's, laugh. that's all right. It's yours. It's all yours. Take that's it. That's great, Carol. Yeah, Listen, Carol, I have to uh, move on to our next guy. Your story was fantastic. <laughs> I didn't know what to think when Phil told me, oh, I have a friend of mine. She did this. And I said, all right. You know, I was dying. Look, it's well, you folks in the chat. I tried to get detectives, female detectives, lieutenant sergeants. I even asked Chief Ryan, wow. uh, female Chief Kathy Ryan, and she turned me down. So it's not for lack of trying. I do try to get females to come on, but they turned me down. And you, you did it. Your story was fantastic. And I want to thank you. Uh, thank you. As, as soon as Bill said he wanted a female detective or female police officer to tell us, I said, I got the girl. I know Carol. <laughs> Carol, Carol I'm going to say this, and it's not in a disrespectful way. She's got a lot of balls, so to speak. Just th that story right there. She jumped on the guy's back. She didn't let go. He wasn't getting away from her. That's why I love working with Carol. And Phil, Phil, you didn't get to know me, Phil. You're right, Carol. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> You're never gonna. I, uh, Carol, I'm gonna put you in the uh, in the dungeon here, and oh, then we're gonna go. Phil, we're gonna go to a quick commercial. Sure. And uh, and then we're gonna go. I'm gonna let you introduce Mikey Heinrichs. Joe Murray, attorney at law. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He literally knows both sides of defense. His website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or you could email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. Joe's a great attorney and a fine friend of Police Off the Cuff. And if you'd like to advertise with Police Off the Cuff, you could email us at policeoffthecuff, the number one, at gmail.com. The rates are very reasonable, and it might be the right thing for your business. So drop us an email if you're interested. Very well done, Phil. And here we have one of the superstars. Well, Phil, I said you could introduce him. Go ahead, you introduce him. Mike Heinrichs, I know Mike for a lot of years. Mike was a uh, a really good anti-crime cop in the 6-7 precinct, I believe, when I first met him. Uh, and I always talk about there was four types of cops. There were super cops. There were... Uh, Active cops, which I put myself in the uh, categories and after cop, but it was the guys that came to work, did what they had to do, and then there were do nothings. Mike was a super cop. I think Michael O'Keefe was also a su super cop. Everybody that we had tonight was, I think, in my opinion, a super cop. But Mike has uh, two combat crosses, two uh, many, many medals, uh, two Medal of Valors, and uh, it's just a pleasure. I worked a few homicides with Mike. He's a great guy as a human being, as a person. He's also a great detective, and Mike. Welcome to the show, and it's great to have you here, Mike. Thank you very much, Phil. It's nice to see you again. You too, Bill. Thanks, Mike. You know, Mike, mm -hmm. I keep that in our uh, pictures because oh, okay. uh, when I I told you I used to put people down when they would bust my chops, right, and right. I would tell them go get your gun cloth and your gun oil and go polish my rack. Now yeah. I use your rack to, to demonstrate that. That's good. good <laughs> go stuff. polish my rack. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> So, Mike, what are you going to lay on us tonight? I know there's a lot of things that you could be telling us about, I'm sure, because. Yeah, uh, you know, actually, you know, well, when Bill, let, you know, would text or whatever and say he wanted to do a show, um, I talked to my, you know, my young son who's a cop in Queens. And, uh, I, you know, I told Bill, sure, I'll, you know, I'll come on and throw something out there. And my son's like, well, what are you going to put on? 
And a long story short, we sat there on the couch and we, we left our ass off for about an hour and a half, you know, just going back, uh, you know, uh, in the day and all the, the funny stuff that happened. And, you know, like, like, you know, Bill said earlier, we're trying to get away, get away like today, at least from the, uh, from the, you know, the, uh, the horror stories, the shootouts, the dead bodies and, and stuff like that. So um, actually my son suggested it. Um, I had a little uh, incident out in Queens one night uh, when I was working in a homicide squad. Um, so I, I figured, uh, I, I think it'd be a good story that you guys are like. So um, as it starts out, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, uh, I guess it's somewhere in uh, maybe the late nineties, mid nineties. I'm in the homicide squad working uh, apprehensions. When I first got there, we did uh, wanted cards uh, for wanted perps, cleaning up the mess from the 80s and the early 90s and working on some fresh cases. So uh, what happens is is uh, my partner, uh, Phil Tricola, who you know, Phil, great guy. Yep. Um, he has a case out of the 6-7. We're looking for a guy for a homicide. And uh, we get some info that he's out in Queens – and he's looking to make a move. He's going to blow town and get on a plane or whatever and flee the country. So Phil gets on it right away, starts running the computer, um, finds out this guy, uh, our, our subject, got locked up in Nassau County um, the year previous. And while he was in the joint out in uh, Nassau, he had a visitor uh, uh, several times who listed an address out in the ass end of Queens. Um, so... We, we, you know, Phil said that this has got to be the spot. If he's out in Queens, you know, this is a good spot to hit. So we decide to, uh, you know, let's, okay, well, well, let's go. You know, we'll go out three, four in the morning. We'll go hit the place. So, um, you know, we suit up. We grab, I think, the covering boss and, a, and another detective from the squad, and we drive out to, uh, I forget what street it was on. It was really like the ass end of Queens. I'm actually a friend of mine, Ruth Griffin from, uh, She's retired from Harvard. She's a loyal listener to your show and uh, she, out in her old neighborhood. Um, so uh, we'll, anyhow, we, we head out there. The two guys from the other squad go in the back and we go up to the uh, to the door and we bang on the door and the door opens up and there's some old time in there. And he is he's, he's stood to the balls, this guy. And we're like, hey, uh, you know, hey, where's Jimmy? Is Jimmy around? And he's like, I'm Jimmy. Uh, no, little Jimmy, young Jimmy. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he, he's here somewhere. And we look up the stairs. It was like a stairway you could see straight up to the top floor. Is uh, Jimmy up on uh, up on the top step with a baby in one hand and a gun in the other? Oh, boy. And he's got he's got the gun to the baby's head. I was like, Jesus Christ. And he's yelling, you won't take me. I'll shoot you. I'll shoot the baby. You won't take me and all this crazy shit. And me and Phil are trying to talk to him, calm him down. Hey, it's not worth it, all that stuff. And we're pretty much at a stalemate for a while. Man. So we're trying, you know, we have the Raiders. The only way we could get anybody there is to uh, go to Citywide. Um, there was no cell phones or anything back then. So we go to switch over to Citywide, and we hear, well, all we hear on the radio is pandemonium. You know, just, you know, screaming, yelling. As it turns out, um, there was some sort of shootout in Nassau County, and the state police and Nassau County were chasing a car into uh, into the city. And we're listening to it. We can't break in to tell them what we got. And you hear, you know, Laurelton Parkway, Belt Parkway, Conduit, and 
Well, like Jesus Christ, uh, it sounds like the, it's coming right here. And uh, so we're, we're just waiting, trying to see what happens. But as the radio is going, these guys are coming. And sure enough, about a block away, there goes the perp's car, and here comes all the cop cars. You hear a crash, a bunch of shooting, uh, everybody screaming and yelling. And, and this is happening within like a, a block or two from where we are. The old man is belligerent as hell. He's yelling, don't, you know, don't shoot my son. Don't shoot my son. He's getting in the way. And it's really, a, it's really getting to be a, he's really a pain in the ass, you know? And, and with that, you know, we got this kid up there, the baby and the gun, the whole thing. And all of a sudden this kid, I guess, you know, he heard all the commotion. He saw searchlights from helicopters you know, guys with big hats running, cops with big hats running through the yard, gunshots, crashes. And the kid says, I don't know who they called, but I'm coming down. So he's like, all right, I'm coming down. We're like, uh, now, right? He goes, yeah, I'm coming down. And sure as shit, he comes down. He's got the baby. You don't see a gun. We grab him, cuff him up. Uh, he left the gun at the top of the stairs. But sure enough, we called for all the help, and they helped without even knowing it. And we got the perp. We got the gun. We got the baby safe, and it all wrapped up nice. No. That is a, a great set of circumstances, I would say. What I mean, it was, it was pretty, you know, I mean, you think of all the, all the things that could have went wrong. And Absolutely. sure enough, it just fell into place like that, you know. You know, Mike, out of the million stories you could have told, this was a pretty damn good one. <laughs> you know, and I know, you know, you know what I like about it? It didn't end with a lot of blood, which was good. No, it was always like, you know, here, here, here's this kid doing his Jimmy Cagney, you know, come on, copper, you know, you ain't taking, me alive. taking me alive and all this. And the next thing you know, he's running down the stairs when, 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 when the troops are, and have, they have nothing to do with what we're doing, but he didn't know that, you know? Yeah. So yeah. It, was, it worked out pretty good, you know? You know, Mike, one of the things, and I, and I know I'll just take, explain the rack you have here. These medals here, they're regular department medals, and Mike has 212 of them. And the, the medal at the top, the green, that's the combat cross, and the clover leaf means you get two of them. Underneath yes. that, it's the medal of valor, and right. the clover leaf also means he has two of them. Usually, if you get two combat crosses, they send you to Bellevue, and you never leave there. If you get two uh, combat crosses and two well, look, I'm just saying the way the department views things. Yeah, and right. Jimmy Cohn could tell you that too. If you get multiple combat crosses, they're looking to pull you off the road. They are. Yes, Isn't yeah. that that's 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 true, right, Mike? Yeah, no, they just kept me kept me in the six seven. That's all. Sort of the same thing, you know. <laughs> People that don't know the six seven, that was one of the we used to call it the armpit of Brooklyn uh back in the eighties and nineties. It was that bad. It was a very, very very busy precinct and a lot yeah. of shit, a lot of guns. We had a lot of, of we had a lot of great guys there. And uh, oh, absolutely, you know, cops, anti crime, you know, uh, squad. It was great and uh, great bosses there too, Mike. If I remember correctly, it was always good bosses. We always had great bosses there. Sergeants, yeah. lieutenants, you know, COs, captains, yes. inspectors, all good guys. We were. Lucky. You know, one of the things, Mike, when I first met you, and again, Mike, I met you. I didn't know you from the job. I had right, heard right. about you. It turned out my brother in law. Was friends with you. You're from we Long Island. Together, right? Yeah. So, yeah, same part as him. Yeah, yeah. And I always laughingly said, you know, Mike's got 212 medals, you know, two combat courses, two medals of valor, and he looks like a high school math teacher. <laughs> <laughs> well, he doesn't look, here. you know, he doesn't look like the typical tough anti crime cop, you know, but yeah. it takes all types, right? That's why I was so good. I was deceptive, you know? That's yeah. right. 
You they know? were like, who's this math teacher coming to get me? <laughs> Mild-mannered Mike. That's what I yes, used to say. Yeah. But, you know, real quick, I do have a funny story, too. I was thinking, I mean, I had a shitload of them, but uh, one of them was, was was actually another squad story. And uh, as it goes, we were sitting up in the squad, uh, you know, a handful of us, and uh, we get here a knock on the door, and there's a Haitian guy comes in. And he's all dressed up, suit, tie, and all that, and he's in tears and and all this, and we're like, who, who set this guy up? Like, what what happened? What's the what, what happened? And he's like, well, uh, you know, somebody hit my car, and I can't drive it anymore, and and and, and this, that, and the other thing. And we're like, come on, what was what he coming up to the squad for with this? Well, he go, but I have the license plate number of, of of the car. We're like, all right, all right, come on, sit in, we'll sit down, we'll take a report. So, what's the plate number? He doesn't have it. He's outside. He goes. About five minutes later, we hear his racket. And the guy is dr literally dragging a bumper of a car up the stairs into the squad. <laughs> and it's got the lights are played attached yeah. to it. And, what, and was Carol Orzum on top of the guy or what? <laughs> no, not at this point. So now we're like, all right, have a seat. You know, we'll, 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 can't you know, make we, this shit up, right, Mike? We take a, we, 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 you know, we take the plate number. We run the plate. What happens? It's one of the guys in the squad out on a bender. That's the oh. registered owner of the car. So wow. now we're like, uh, oh, okay. Uh, so pass around the hat. Everybody throws, uh, you know, twenty dollars uh, $20 in the hat. We give the guy whatever, a couple hundred bucks. We tell him, here, yeah, we'll take care of it. This guy's, uh, he, you know, he's a repeat offender. We'll straighten him out. Don't worry about <laughs> it. And we gave the guy two hundred dollars, and he's. he's I started to well up and thank us profusely. You know, all oh, the cops, you cops are great. I love cops. Cops are great. Went and got his car fixed and everybody was happy. We went home. That's fantastic. Yeah, that is Mike, I have to, I have to get Lieutenant Peter Pranzo. Yeah, please. He agreed to go last. And okay. Mike, I'm going to, I'm going to bring him on. Uh, so, you know, he's been patiently sitting. So I'm going to bring him in. Stand by Mike. Lieutenant Pete, thank you so much for agreeing to go last. You know, you heard some of these stories. They were funny. They were engaging. I couldn't pull them off the screen, but thank you so much for sitting there patiently. Oh, Jesus, no problem. It's, it's past my bedtime. What is it, after 10 o'clock? Oh, I said, I said, if I fell asleep, Rochelle, come upstairs and wake me up. Oh, that's great. Hey, the guys and the gal, terrific tonight. This has been a great show. And uh, I'll add, I, I had to change my story completely. I said, I'm not going with it. I said, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Two stories I had, you know, all that shoot them up and all that nonsense. But it was uplifting, yeah, community stuff. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to just give you a, a couple of, uh, Bill, you relate to it very well, I'm sure, from street crime and, Phil, of course, anti-crime. But uh, the stories I got uh, was uh, from street crime. And uh, I had, when I had uh, first gotten uh, to street crime, I think it was like uh, 1984, going on 85. And uh, they gave me uh, the late tour, Bill. You remember the, we did the, uh, the midnight tours, like maybe 10 at night to 6 in the morning, the robbery detail and stuff. Well, they gave me all the young people. I had about the... Uh, uh, 40 of them. And uh, when I say young, you know, they had some time on the job. They had some good credentials, but uh, we had to sort of train them and, and do the street crime work and do the anti-crime work and the decoy work and uh, how to pick out the guns and robberies on the streets and such. Right. So I had these great young, about 40 of them. 
after it was uh, when they were going to get assigned to their permanent squads after about uh, eight months, we went through the summer and uh, and they took them all around the city and we trained them and everything else uh, for the for the assignment. Now, around uh, when we had to get permanently assigned these young people, we had to put a, a handful in each squad. So they sort of graduated, we call it, when they got assigned to those squads. So we had a party night for them. And uh, all of them, we said, look, uh, we're going to have a few beers tonight. We're going to go out and do a little celebrating, very lightweight stuff. And then you're going to go home. And then the next day, you're going to go to your, your separate squads. So we started off, things got a little out of control. In front of Bill, you'll know that, in front of the, uh, there's a big open muster area in front of the uh, street crime desk, large, long, and uh, what happened is that they, the guys, they started to look, let's, no beers, nothing, but we'll loosen up and have a, a light night. So the guys started squad against squad against these young people, and they were playing uh, football in front of the mustard desk, you know, in front of the big area there. So a, uh, a sergeant, an older sergeant, good guy, and he calls me over. He says, are you kidding me, Lieutenant? This, this can't be. This is a police department building. You, you, you can't be doing this. I won't mention any names, you know. I says, no, no, look, Sarge, I tell you what. I says, no, no. He says, I, I, I can't be part of this. This is ridiculous. They're playing football in a police department. I said, look, here, here's a, here's a fucking slip. I'm going to fill this out for you. It's a 28. You, you're going to go home. I'm going to give you four hours free time, Sarge. He says, okay, I'll take that. I says, good. Just go and have a good time. I, he's going now the places there's nobody on the desk there it's that street crime but put a cop over there look so i take these young people i, I take them to central park the 2-2 precinct right in central park so i got all 40 of them in central park they all brought the beers we all the unmarked cars about uh about 10 unmarked cars there in the middle of central park and we all the beers are opened up. Here comes the 2-2 precinct. And I says, oh, shit, guys, all right, we may have to leave because these are all uniform cops. Here comes three 2-2 cars, young guys and old guys, about six of them. They come, and they, he says, hey, uh, hey, boss, can we can we have a couple of beers? You know, it was a hot. Yeah, good, have some beers. So now everybody, the 2-2, the six of them in uniform, the 40 young people from street crime, plain clothes, there, all the cars are around. And then one of the guys, he passed away. Good guy, no names mentioned. He takes out his gun just, you know, after they have a little lit up, right? Bang, 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 bang. Let some shots go in the middle of Central Park. I said, holy shit, that's it. Party's <laughs> over. Wrap up the whole thing. Beers in the trunk of the car. The two, two priests, they, they turned red. They didn't know what to think. Guys, get out of here. Have a good night. Oh, okay, we're out of here. And they left. I, I take these guys. I says, we're done for the night. I take him in. That's it. We're finished. Now it's like five in the morning, right? I take him in. I says, okay, everybody okay to drive home? And he says, yeah, we're okay to drive home, boss. Everything is good. So I leave a couple of them behind, all right, in the station out there. We're going to sleep there. I come in the next day, and the administrative lieutenant is there. He said, Pete, can I talk to you for a second? I says, yeah, what happened? He said, listen, now, Billy, if you remember, up in each squad area we had like a caricature cut out like a wooden thing each squad had one yeah. one was like mickey mouse one was this one was that so the lieutenant the administrative lieutenant said pete I, I, I gotta talk to you look he said look in the radio room over here he says in the radio room behind the cubicles were all bullets that landed and it looked like big shells it looked like a, a 45 caliber i said so jesus 
He said, Pete, I, I don't know what you guys did last night. He says, but I don't know what the hell to make of this. And then I says, I'll, I'll get to the bottom of it. Uh, I don't mention his name. Okay, I'll, I'll take care of this. Don't worry about it. Pete, we, we can't. I don't know what happened. They said, what would they do? He said, well, we had a little celebration. All right, no problem. I go on the other side of the cubicle and I see where one of the young guys took uh, a, uh, a, a, a voucher that they had held in the locker, a 45 Mac 10, Phil, you know, a Mac 10 machine pistol. And he let it go into the character of our own squad, <laughs> went through, out the wall, through the other side, down into the radio room, the cage room where the radios were, and fell down on the floor. I said, holy shit. I made the sign of the cross. I said, let me get through this night. And the, what happened was the word spread like wildfire, of course. Cops can't keep their mouth shut. The next day, the inspector calls me in. He said, listen, Pete. He says, this will never happen again, right? I don't know what happened over here last night. No, no, everything is fine, boss. Now nah, it's exaggerated. The guys had a little fun. They blew up some steam. He said, right, <laughs> the steam is fucking over. He says, Pete. Please, no more of this. I said, all right, boss, and that's it. So that's the, the short little stories from street crime, and I hope you're okay. And, and Pete, that, uh, was, that was a great story, man. Really, he sounded, he sounded like Don Salami denying the, like, the existence <laughs> of the mafia. He's got, no, no, it's, it's all lies. It's made up, in fact. Yeah. Oh, that's right. great. That's it's all great. exaggerated. No, everything is fine. Anyway, that was like how – Bill, you know that, and Phil, you know how we used to let off stream years back, and yeah. how the parties got out of hand, and and, and everything else. But uh, quiet that practice. Was, that was part of the job, right? Yeah, no cell phones, no cameras. Everything was good, and you know everybody, uh, and it was part of the brotherhood, sisterhood, and uh, we had a lot of laughs. You know, you know, Lieutenant Pete, being the fact that you went last and you told a fantastic story, you were so patient. When I do this again, I'm going to have you back, come back again, because. Uh, I felt you got a little bit slighted having to go last. Nah, and, uh, I want to hear the story he was going to tell. That's what I want. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, yeah. That's, that's yeah. That's that's about you know police and community relations and shootings and the whole nine yards. But it was yeah. an uplifting story at the end. But it was more no on this night when I heard the other Carol, this Carol, when I heard all these great stories, the fun stories. I said, let me change it up. I says and forget the shoot him ups and all that nonsense. But uh, hey. Thank you for having me on, and I mean that, guys. And you guys got a great. Oh, there, there, there's there's Jimmy there Cohen. He uh, Jimmy oh, Cohen hey, was Jimmy. missing. He hey, was missing hey. for a second. And hey, Mikey you know Heinrichs, I don't know. Mike, I think Mike, Mike was Mike doing Mike. some math problems in the back to get ready for his math class tomorrow. But, uh, and Monty, Monty passed out. They, uh, no, I was awake. I was still. Fit. Wait, where, where's Michael O'Keefe? Oh, Mike must have booked. I'll see him. Oh, so Mike left. I just wanted to bring everyone on the screen to thank you guys with all my heart. It was a, fant a fantastic episode. I think this is a great idea to bring cops in and tell stories. I know some TV guys going to steal these stories because they're, they're fantastic stories. I mean, because you can't make this shit up. So you know that it's true. You can't. Yes, you know, absolutely oh, fantastic. The best guys, it was the best. Well, I would have loved to see Carol riding that perp like that. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, I think Carol gets the award. Oh, oh, that was a fun, unbelievable story. We call that perp surfing. You know, when you yeah, behind yeah. the guy, <laughs> we want to grab. Listen, it needs yeah. to be little sometimes. Yeah. Yep. You know what she <laughs> told me too before she came on? She goes, "I'm gonna tell a story that nobody else is ever gonna tell." I said, no. "Okay, Carol, go with it." Yep. 
And you know, Carol, I hope that you broke the ice and now more females will now come on this show because you blazed the path for them now, I right? Because so. you know what? Women have a lot of good stories too, you know? Absolutely. I'm sure there's great stories, but if they don't come on, we'll never hear the stories, you know? It's true. Carol, that was the first walk. time you met Joe that? that night when you were, when you were wrestling? No, we worked together in the precinct, but then okay. we started dating after that because I guess okay. he figured I was nuts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I like you so much. Three years married, two kids, two grandkids. Oh, that's awesome. Nice. Wow. Wow. Great. Very, very terrific. And uh, I tell you, the more outlandish the story, you know what? You know it's true. That's oh, it. Boy, I, just, I have, you know, I that's have witnesses. I'm just thankful there were no um, cameras back then. Nobody had telephones right. and exactly. they oh, all over the news. Yeah, definitely. Not yeah. even you know, the guy, the folks, the people in the chat really love this show tonight. They love these stories. And they're they're asking that we do a show like this once a month. I don't know if I can come up with a cast of characters like this <laughs> once a month, though. You know, yeah. it's uh yeah, if you back into the archives, the older people I'd have to go into the archives to pull out, you know, because the thing is, and as I said to you guys, it's not the war stories, the gunfights, it's the funny stories that people like the best, you know. Yep. And they say cops do that. No the way. If you don't have a funny stories just show you're, you're human. You know, people think you're like a robot, but it just shows that cops are human. They're just like everybody else, you know? Exactly. Yes. And we yeah. and we have we learn how we gotta laugh. If we don't laugh, we go crazy. Absolutely. That's right. It's it's part of the PTSD, you know. You that that, that uh, you know, handling it all and you let it out with cop humor, you know. That's a mechanism that's built into us that in order to deal with the horrible things that we see, okay. we have to make light of it at yeah. some point. And yes, a lot of times you'll see the news and you'll see cops or detectives standing over a dead body. And it's not that it's funny, but maybe somebody said something to them to break the ice and they laugh a little bit or they talk about something that happened the day before. But it's not disrespectful toward the victim or anybody. You know, it's just the way it is. You know, you, you have to uh, you have to yep. be able to handle it. And it's a defense mechanism. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Yep. You exactly. know, guys, I want we're at an hour and twenty-two minutes almost. Wow. So, yeah. So I, I want to say goodbye and I want to thank each and every one of you. Jimmy Cohn, I'm gonna see you in Jupiter in the next couple of months. I'll be there. I'm gonna give you a call and we're gonna have a few cocktails together. Mikey Heinrichs, I wanna come by and I want you to teach me a few math problems. Uh, <laughs> all right, enough, Bill. Enough. I don't want you to jump on my back as I'm playing three card Monty. Monty, Monty, the lady, I don't want you jumping on my back. All three of us. Well, I think Jimmy should pick us all up for and in his plane and take us somewhere to a beach. Oh, that's nice. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Phil, I'm going to give you the last words because we got to go, Phil. Listen, thank you, everybody, for coming on. It was a lot of fun. i tell you the truth. I didn't think it was going to turn out the way it did. I thought it was going to be a little more serious, but we like to have fun on the show, and those were some great stories. Thank you all very, very much. Uh, we were in great, great company tonight, Bill. That's all I could say. These are real heroes, very dedicated, and there's life after the job. You're looking at it on the screen right here. And thanks again, guys. Thanks, everyone. Thank God bless. God thanks, guys. One episode. Just singing enough